This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. It's a Sunday kind of love and I'm Maya Tan. Happy Lunar New Year! It's the 11th day of the goat year and I hope you've had a lion's share of yisang, fireworks and celebrations. And you know, for many of us, Chinese New Year has always been a time of happy celebrations. But I'm sure for many of you out there, it's also about having to deal with family dynamics. You know, those well-meaning relatives who are always asking you when you're going to get a job, get married, get pregnant. And they always have some comments to make about your job, your spouse, your pregnancy, your children, your house, your life. You know what I'm talking about. I myself have had a love-hate relationship with Chinese New Year, particularly as my family members arbitrarily decide from year to year whether I'm invited to their reunion dinners or not. For no other reason than they just felt like it. And so I've often been left with no one to reunion with. So for today, I thought I'd share a couple of interesting Chinese New Year stories with characters you may identify with. One story is based on my world-class relatives who could probably win the Pulitzer Prize for insults. And the other, the story of Auspicious Annie, a girl born in the most auspicious of circumstances with a life set to be the most auspicious. Or perhaps not. But first up, my very own experience with a certain Auntie M who makes my Chinese New Year miserable with a capital M. this relative and you know as far as relatives go in the Hokkien side of my family they're just not the best bunch of people you want to hang out with from here to eternity now this Hokkien family on my mother's side they're the likely cause of things like depression low self-esteem suicides the haze and maybe even the tsunami in Phuket you think I'm exaggerating, but I really think my Hokkien family could win the Nobel Prize for Nasty, the Pulitzer Prize for Gyasu, and the Man Booker Prize for writing the best insults. And they have happily bred generation upon generation of the best small-minded, petty, nasty, pedigree bullies in Malaysia and beyond. One of my cousins is in Chicago. Be careful, Chicago. You've been warned. Now, most Chinese families aren't big on PDA. You know, you don't get hugs very often unless you're very little. And even then, you're certainly not immune to the barrage of criticism that comes your way when the spotlight at the dinner table is suddenly shining on you. Yeah, your eyes so sepet, your face so round, your nose so big. Lucky you're cute. Uh. If not, uh, nobody will want to marry you uh, next time. Uh. <laughs> I've always wanted to say, Hello, have you looked in the mirror lately? We're related. I look just like you. But of course, I say nothing. Another thing is, I don't know why, but it's just not done to praise your child in the presence of company. And if you say something like, he's quite clever lah, this fella, he got five A's in his UPSR exams, you always have to balance it with, yeah, but look at his ears. <laughs> They're getting bigger and bigger. We must have found him in the elephant pen at the zoo. <laughs> Okay, so maybe this only happens in my Hokkien family. Other families around the world meet and laugh and hug and exchange gifts. 
we meet in Chinese restaurants, eat six courses in 49 minutes, exchange unpleasantries, and are then hustled off home by the cousin who pays for the dinner, who has, I don't know, better things to do, or maybe even he just can't stand the conversations. Either way, there's not a lot of touchy-feely love lost there. There's also a hierarchy. You know, the older you are, the more people you can insult. So you can imagine now why I say the family breeds bullies because you take it for years and years and years and then you give it as good as you got it. And so there's this one cousin who's constantly on my case. Let's call her Auntie M. Auntie M is constantly judging, constantly finding new ways to chip at any confidence I may have built up. Every time we meet, it would be my dress, or my weight, or my skin, or my job, or my children. But because she's the wife of the cousin who pays, nobody says anything. At least, not to her face. As a teenager, I would fume in silence with all sorts of comebacks running through my head. I would dread the dinners, plot possible comebacks but never use them, and the rage would just stack up like a big pile of garbage next to a Jangan Buang Sampah sign. I'll give you an example. Back in the 90s, my best friend and I, we were avid fashion followers, so we fashioned our own handbags made from tying paisley bandanas together. You know, it was kind of a Guns N' Roses kind of phase, so paisley bandanas were all rage. So we made these handbags out of tying these paisley bandanas together. I used that bag everywhere I went, I loved it, and unfortunately, I brought it to one of these dinners. And I got some curious questions, but from Auntie M, the comment that came in was, Hiya, she just wants to show us that she got no money to buy a handbag law, hinting for us to give her money ma. And I thought, well honey, if you did give me some money, I'd buy you a new handbag because have you seen that thing you're carrying? I mean, you can afford Prada and you buy that one? Err. But of course, I said nothing. Years go by and I say nothing. But I drew the line at one of the dinners when my daughters, now almost past the cute kindergarten age, became new victims. Your nose too big for your face lah. Someone now you wear specs. Hiya. Your sister's nose is also round but it suits her face. You are just all over the place lah. And I thought, that's it. No more dinners. Do you know how much internal work I've had to do building up my self-esteem again from scratch, trying to understand that I bring value to this world? I mean, if I was in any other Western country, I'd already be in therapy. And I certainly don't want my kids going through all that. So no more. I told my mom, I've had it. You're on your own. You go to these dinners. Time passes and after about two years, a personal invitation comes in the form of a text message. The cousin who pays was celebrating his 60th birthday. And I thought, okay, family is family at the end of the day and he has sure paid for a lot of dinners. And I thought, let's grow up a little, you know, let's be the adult here. So I relented, but I had a strategy. I would turn up extra early so I would have a seating advantage and I would seat myself and my girls as far away from Auntie M's firing range as possible. And just in case, I had a few comebacks stored away in my brain. And so we went and the plan worked. Auntie M, whose butt size had troubled in the time I didn't see her, was just too far away on the long rectangular table to fire insults at me or my girls. All is well. 
But at the end of the dinner, she yells, Ah, don't go yet, ah. I bought you and your girl some chocolate from Paris. Let me get it from the car, dear. And I thought, wow, maybe my absence sent a message. Maybe she's seen the light. Maybe when I decided to be an adult, something in the universe switched gears and she's changed. People can change after all. People change. So I walk up to her and say thank you for the chocolates. But as my hand touches the box, she says, Only for your girls, huh? <laughs> not for you, you're so fat now. I look at her triple XL butt. And just on the tip of my tongue was the comeback that I had planned for her. It was just right there on the tip of my tongue. I was going to open my mouth and say it. But then I looked in her eyes and I saw a quick flicker of doubt some underlying sadness, and even a little bit of fondness. And that's when it hit me. All these years, I'd been listening to the words, but I hadn't been listening to what was being said. Maybe hurling insults was the only way my family knew how to love. We were all probably these broken-down, insecure beings who've just dealt with negative comments all our lives. Maybe this was the only way my family knew how to love. So I took the box of chocolates, said thank you, and then I gave her a big, warm, squishy hug. And she hugged me back. Sunday Kind of Love returns in just a bit on BFM 89.9 We're back on a Sunday Kind of Love with me, Maya Tan If you've just tuned in, we've got an auspicious Chinese New Year story coming up. The story of the very, very auspicious Annie. Auspicious Annie was born, according to her mother, at the stroke of midnight, on a night of the full moon. This was very auspicious. Very auspicious indeed. New moons are evil. So pointy. So miserly. But a full moon. Ah, plentiful. Abundant. Full of good omens. Hamala, she said. Auntie Felicity clasped her expensive gel fingernails around her cup of Chinese tea and the cup disappeared instantly. All you could see were the nails, bright red, with raised gel dragons emblazoned on each one, which must have been at least three inches long. I glanced at Auspicious Annie and understood why she was the way she was, certainly full in face and body, with the temperament of a cheerful piglet. When you're treated every single day of your life as if you were the imperial pearl of the Dowager Empress, when all decisions are made for you and your warmth and comfort is always ensured, that's what happens to you, I guess. You become round and cheerful. 
we were having dinner at the Imperial Golden Phoenix in Knightsbridge, London, a legendary Chinese restaurant with the hallowed gold leaf-covered walls, which had served their signature pork ribs in imperial sauce to the likes of Mick Jagger, Sir Bob Geldof and Kate Middleton. I was about to have tea, having just put a tiny flower pot in the solitary window of my bedsit when my phone rang, and Annie had been on the other end, politely inviting me to dinner with her mother, who was in town. Emily! <laughs> she must have giggled for a whole minute before saying, Um, it's Chinese New Year, <laughs> and so Mummy thought, well, <laughs> are you free for dinner? She sounded pretty much like any English schoolgirl who had spent years at boarding school. Annie Ong was the daughter of a Malaysian Chinese businessman who had made his money in timber. Our parents had been friends, we had gone briefly to the same primary school in Kuala Lumpur and our dads had played golf together at the Royal Selangor Golf Club. Beyond that, we had never had much interaction. We never even played much together whenever our family visited for Chinese New Year. Once, when we were playing hide-and-seek, it took me about an hour before I found her, asleep in a cabinet, hugging an almost empty jar of kueh bangkit, with telltale white powder and crumbs smeared all over her mouth, cheeks and fingers. My most vivid memory of Annie, and one I always had negative associations with, was of her throwing up spaghetti bolognese in the car on a bi-family trip up to Gunting Highlands. She was so traumatised, the family had to detour and make arrangements to get up to Gunting Highlands by helicopter. She's too traumatised from vomit in car. We have to get the helicopter. Auntie Felicity had yelled when her husband had objected to the helicopter idea. It was several hours after we'd arrived at the peak that the Ong family had trailed into the lobby. Auntie Felicity, imperious and snapping, walking hurriedly to the check-in counter, while Uncle Frank, looking defeated, dragged a washed-out Annie by the arm. She'd obviously thrown up even more on the helicopter ride. I had no idea why fate had brought Annie and myself into the same university, but I had a feeling I was about to find out. Auntie Felicity put down her cup and stuck her index finger high into the air. Captain, ah, Captain, she melodiously modulated. A woman came scurrying over, taking small quick steps due to her tight chongsam. I wondered what Auntie Felicity's mother had told her about her when she was a child. My mother once told me that she'd been a hostess in a bar in Hong Kong before Uncle Frank had plucked her out of obscurity and placed her into the imperial pork rib lifestyle. As far as I'd known, my mother had never really gotten along with Auntie Felicity. Show off. And a little bit psychotic, eh? My mother had said. Auntie Felicity was a tiny woman, rather skinny and pinched looking, with a small head, narrow nose, narrow eyes, narrow neck. She had immaculate skin, even for her age, and expertly applied black makeup on her slanty eyes, which made her seem like a winged dragon had settled on her nose, wings wide open. It actually made her look a little bit cockeyed. Whatever she lacked in size, however, she made up for in hair. Her hair was imposing, Thatcher-like, bouffant, teased and sprayed. She looked like she had an alien mothership hovering around her head. 
Her lips were a thin crimson line that matched her fingernails, and she wore an impeccably neat navy blue cheongsam, beaded to the hilt. Her shoulders shot out from her narrow neck, bolstered by shoulder pads, and the dress clung to her in all the right places. She was all jagged lines compared to Annie's soft, plump roundness. There was a brief conversation in Cantonese where the captain rattled off a list of daily specials and seasonal items. Today is your lucky day, uh, she turned to me and said. They have venison and fresh abalone and bamboo clam. I bet you don't get to eat very often, Himele. I started to answer, but she'd already turned away. Guess the question was rhetorical. And of course, we can start with the imperial shark's fin soup with ginseng and wolfberry. Oh, but of course we would start with the imperial shark's fin soup, I thought to myself. I had half a mind to tell her that I was a vegetarian and that I had pledged 20 quid to the Jackie Chan Eat No Sharks campaign just to piss her off. While I pretended to eat, picking at bits of shallots and garnish, Auntie Felicity unveiled her agenda. You are a good student, Haimaila, Emily. I know you. She put her chopsticks down and to my alarm, clutched my wrist with her bony, taloned fingers. She squeezed my flesh, felt my bones, rubbed my skin, saying, a lot. Then she dropped my wrist as if she were discarding a used tissue and said, I know your type. You, my dear, you were born to be a scholar, but you are destined to be poor. It is not as unfortunate as being born for hard labour. But you will never really prosper long. You listen to auntie. However, I know your type. This does not bother you. You intellectual types, lad. All you want is intellectual fulfilment, Hamela. That's what you are after. Oh. I said, feeling a little crestfallen. Cheer up, my dear. It doesn't matter what your life is like in the long run. After all, your father is not a very important man, Hamela. And therefore, what you do with your life is of no importance to anyone. I wanted to tell her that it was important to me. But she continued, Annie Le, Annie here is different, of course. Everything she do is of the utmost importance. But we are not concerned with daily truth. We are more interested in long-term results. You listen, Auntie Talk. I looked at Annie for answers, but all she did was beam at me with her mouth full of abalone, her lips shiny with oil, her eyes dark and glinting, revealing nothing. You see, in the long run, Annie must do well in her study. She must be popular, recognised for her achievement in university. And this is where you have a role to play. 
你聽人哋講。Her winged dragon glass settled on me. I pretended to have difficulty swallowing and picked up my teacup. What happens next with Emily and Auntie Felicity? Stay tuned. We'll be back with more auspicious Annie in just a moment on a Sunday kind of love BFM 89.9. It's a Sunday kind of love. I'm Maya Tan. Welcome back. We're telling Chinese New Year stories today, the celebrations and tribulations. Don't worry if you missed any part of the show. Catch up on the podcast on bfm.my. And now back to our story about auspicious Annie. Born to be a scholar, therefore you have the skills and interest in the mundane business of learning. Annie was made for more important things. She grasped my chin suddenly, and I felt her nails cut into my face. Your mother was French, Haimala, and so you are lucky. You have the good looks of a half-caste girl, which means making friends. Being popular is just easy for you, huh? You don't have to try very hard. Hi, my lad. She turned my chin to the left, to the right, and didn't exactly let my face go. She kind of threw it a little to the left with a bit of disgust, and I had to recoil from it. Unfortunately, that is not enough. What you have to work on now, lad, Emily, is. How important you are, huh? Your position in life, Didoma. She started to smile, and briefly her eyes disappeared under the cakey black makeup, much like watching a Komodo dragon having a yawn and basking in the sun. But don't worry, Auntie can help you. I shuddered inside, my stomach roiling from eating onions, garnish, and oil. You see, I'm happy to officially appoint you. She paused for effect. Annie's official BFF. She exclaimed, "A、uh, BFF? Yes!" She clasped her hands together, the dragon claws interlocked. It's very simple. You don't have to worry. Just be her friend. Study together, socialize together. Together, I echoed for some stupid reason, and for effect, Annie clasped her hands together too and giggled. <laughs> As if it was the best thing she had ever heard. In return, Hai Mai, of course. We will bear all the expenses that you two girls out on the town may incur. 
You know what auntie mean, don't you? Shopping, uh, facial, massage, eating in restaurants, cocktail parties. We will take care of it. Don't you worry. Auntie Felicity put one arm around me and one around Annie with great humour, as if we were all pals out on the town. I couldn't speak. I couldn't look at her or Annie. You don't seem convinced," she said when she saw my reaction. Emily, I think Auntie Gong. Do you know how lucky you are? She said. Her smile now a little forced and bloodthirsty. Some red lipstick had smeared while she was eating. The winged dragon glare glinted dangerously. I swallowed and nodded quickly. Let me put it this way," she said. Letting go of us and picking up her chopsticks again, you can go to university and throw ten sen on any girl there, waiting for a bus at the bus stop or the tube station, and any one of them would be extremely delighted with this proposal. The dragon gleamed again. Auntie Felicity, I. She decided to muster and try a different tack. But of course, you are special, Hamela. It is only because you are the dear, dear daughter of our dear, dear friend, your father, huh? Uncle Frank's dear, dear best friend. That is why we invite you into our life, Emily. Didoma. After all, if you think about it, only good things can come from this. I'm sure you don't want to disappoint your poor dead mother by being a nobody all your life, Hamaya. I put down my chopsticks. Not only had this woman insulted my intelligence, circumstances, my father, and my race, or lack thereof, she had wanted her daughter to piggyback on my imaginary scholastic success and popularity, and and then had made it seem like she was doing me a favor. Now all that I could still stomach and put it down to her larger-than-life personality, but when she mentioned my mother, oh, she crossed the line. I didn't know what I was going to do next, but all of a sudden, Annie started making a weird choking sound, and began sputtering and coughing. Auntie Felicity jumped up immediately to thump her daughter on the back. Annie. Annie, Annie, let me see. Annie, what's wrong with you? Annie, 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 messy, She kept thumping Annie's back while the poor girl kept on coughing and gasping. Annie, what's wrong with you? I stared at Annie in horror for several seconds until I felt Annie's hand curl around mine under the table. I looked down at our hands. And that was when she gestured for me to get out. Her fingers curled with her thumb out, as if she were hitchhiking, jerking repeatedly, pointing with her thumb at the exit. I looked down in disbelief, not sure what to do. But then I suddenly stood up and mumbled something about going to the bathroom, walking as fast as I could, praying that Auntie Felicity would not stop me. As I got my coat from the coat check, I turned. And saw Auntie Felicity continuing to thump auspicious Annie's back, hard. 
there was nothing auspicious about it. Well, I certainly hope your New Year celebrations are never as dire as this. If you have any Chinese New Year nightmare stories to share, drop us a note and I'll read them out on the next episode of A Sunday Kind of Love. Just email us at sundaykindalove at bfm.my. That's sundaykindalove, one word, at bfm.my. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been listening to a lot of indie electronica and this is one of my favourites. It's called Anxieties by The Landing. But I hope it gets you in the mood to have a fantastic Fantastic Sunday. This is Maya Tan signing off on a Sunday kind of love. BFM 89.9. for listening to this podcast to find more great interviews go to bfm.my or find us on itunes bfm 89.9 the business station